Hello, Fried fans, and welcome to Season 3 of Fried, the Burnout Podcast. I'm your host, Kate Donovan, and my mission with Fried is to hashtag end burnout culture. On this pod, we end burnout culture by sharing stories of people who have been through it all and lived to tell the tale, sharing expert tips from the best of the best in the burnout and stress management fields, and sharing hashtag straight from Kate episodes full of my own expertise plus actionable steps to help you end your own burnout cycle starting today. If you're feeling burnt out right now and need more personalized guidance, I'm here for you. In every episode, you'll find a link to book a free breakthrough burnout call. You can find it easily by heading to bit.ly forward slash call Kate or finding the link in the show notes. This free call helps us decide if one-on-one coaching is perfect for you. If it is, we'll get started. If it isn't, I might suggest one of my immediately available online courses, my book, The Bounce Back Ability Factor, or some sessions with a colleague who's better suited to exactly what you need right now. Also, if you happen to be in New York City, I'd love to see you as a patient. I'm a licensed acupuncturist with over 13 years of international experience, and right now my office is located in Midtown Manhattan. I focus on, you guessed it, burnout. I help your body build up a natural stress resilience to fight off all those pesky symptoms that come alongside burnout. You can find all the deets on that at katedonovanacupuncture.com. Hello, Fried fans. Welcome to season three. I can't believe it's season three. I didn't even know I was going to do seasons. And to be honest, there's really no rhyme or reason to them. But I am excited to be in season three. And I'm excited to start season three with Melanie Moberg, who is a codependency coach, helping people transform to putting themselves first. You know, I love that a million times over. She has a master's degree in addictions counseling from Hazelden Betty Ford Graduate School of Addiction Studies and is releasing her first book, Warriors in Recovery, Women Who Stood Up to Addiction and Won the Damn Battle, next week. Ah! In her work as a codependent coach, Melanie blogs weekly and has an online course, Pathway to Peace, which helps individuals identify codependent habits that leave us feel anxious, stressed, and burnt out to new habits that help us find peace. Melanie, I've been dying to talk to you since we were introduced and I got you on the podcast. I think there's there might be a few guests that would be a little peeved. I got you on the podcast much faster than the average because <laughs> I want to have this conversation so badly. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited about your book. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I'm just honored to be here. Thank you. It's so good. This is such a big topic and my listeners will really recognize the topics that we're covering today. Codependency is such a big issue, but I don't use the word codependency in my own work. And I avoid the word on purpose for two reasons. One of them, I don't like people to get into, I try to avoid as many words as possible that will allow people to get into a place of self-judgment. Yes. So I try to avoid the label on purpose for that reason, but I also avoid it because I am not a therapist. Mm -hmm. So I also am as careful as I can possibly be to avoid using words that belong to the mental health world, of which I am a part, of course, but Mm -hmm. my background is Chinese medicine. I am not a licensed therapist, so so I avoid that word on purpose, but I think talking about this word will be very important. So if you would like to start and share your burnout story, that's obviously very interwoven with codependency, we'll use that as our springboard for the rest of today's conversation. Absolutely. Well, my name is Melanie. I am um, a single mom to two beautiful kids, Ryan and Emily, a boy and a girl. And I also have custody of my niece, which is a long story, which you'll hear a little bit about. But essentially, I live in a small town in Minnesota. I had a kind of like a normal life growing up. I had wonderful parents. I still have wonderful parents. Had a great brother and a great sister. And life, as I knew it, was just great in a small Midwestern town. Like everything was hunky-dory. And as I grew up, you know, reality hit a little bit. My brother owned a bar, which is a very stressful uh, sort of situation to be in. Um, It's not a very easy industry and had a lot of issues um, just in general with drinking. He had some drug issues that we're we're unaware of, but like in hindsight, we probably 
probably should have known, but there's a lot of should haves and could haves, and I hate to do that to myself. And so um, at the end of the day, I think we knew what we knew and we did the best we could with what we had. So um, my brother sort of struggled on and off throughout his adult life. And then um, my sister, I should mention too, that I am the youngest of three children. So uh, my brother is nine years older than me and my sister is five years older than me. So I was sort of like this little child <laughs> looking at my older siblings from a distance. Like they were in a much different spot than I was. When I was in school, they were off having babies and being older adults. So I had the benefit of that. I was able to see from a distance kind of what adult life looked like. And I am so grateful for having that space and time to be able to kind of watch them. But my sister also struggled with addiction. She had had a, a surgery on her leg and um, became addicted to pain meds. And then, you know, a drug addiction always leads to some sort of horrible, I should say horrible behavior, but bad behavior, bad choices. Um, and that's what happened to her. And so she struggled in and out of recovery for many years and still struggles. And my brother uh, continued to struggle, although like uh, in a much uh, deeper way than we, I think any of us knew. And I was in a marriage that I don't like to talk about too much because I have two children. So I try to keep that kind of at bay, but it wasn't the best marriage either. So I was kind of surrounded by addiction and mental health problems without really realizing that's what was going on. I think I was so in just a state of mind where this was normal to me and I just didn't, I didn't know anything different. And so I did the best I could to help my brother and my sister. I, I remember sitting one time at the at the bar with my brother. I'm a CPA by trade. Like that was my normal, like what I normally went to school for. Like when I was of college age, I went and got my accounting degree, became a CPA and did all the things I thought were going to bring me success and happiness. And what I found was that, you know, accounting, uh, my accounting degree did bring me some success and happiness, but my passion has led me here as a result of these life experiences. And I guess in 2013, I lost my brother to suicide. I'll, I'll never forget the moments of that day. It was very tragic. And, um, that moment from then on sort of shaped who I am today and it changed me forever. And I think if you've gone through something like that, if you've lost somebody, tragedy, abuse, uh, any sort of trauma like that will kind of rip you apart and you learn who you are in that moment and in those moments that follow. And there's two paths, right? I think you can kind of veer left and fall apart, <laughs> I guess, for lack of a better word. And maybe you'll pick yourself back up. Hopefully you do. I did do that for a little bit. I'm not going to lie. I did fall apart for a little bit. <laughs> I let myself wallow and I, um, and that was okay. And I, um, I was in therapy throughout that moment or throughout that period. So it was very helpful. And she encouraged, she was like, it's okay. Like I kept saying like, Oh, I don't think I should be doing this. She's like, go, go, like, go have fun, experience it, enjoy it. And so I did, I did some things that, you know, I'm not necessarily proud of, but, um, I lived through all of that experience and, I made some huge life changes as a result of that tragedy in my life. I left my marriage and became a single mom. Um, I think I was like 32 at the time. I was helping my sister. And um, at that point, my brother had, you know, my brother who was struggling with addiction had lost his life. And so here was my sister still struggling. And after my brother died, let me tell you, that struggle became a lot more real. <laughs> So I actually uh, tailspun into this codependency thing because I was like, I, there's no way I'm not going to let that happen to my sister. I can't lose her. Like it was like my mission. <laughs> and I would every two weeks when I had therapy, I'd run into my therapist's office and I'd be like, oh my gosh, like, you know, my sister, blah, 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 blah. And I would just, just spew all this ickiness. And um, it was always my sister, this, my sister, that. And after some time, my therapist actually said to me, and this changed my life. She said to me, she goes, can you accept her just as she is? And I, I actually kind of laughed <laughs> and I was like, no, like what? Like, you why would I me. do that? Yeah. It was just, it seemed crazy to me. It was like, do you know, like, uh, what could happen if I let, let my chain go a little bit? Like if I let loose a little bit, like what could fall apart here? Like my, I could lose my sister and be an only sibling after growing up in this amazing family. And that sat with me for a few weeks. And honestly, like after some time, I kind of grew on the idea that maybe, maybe my personal peace wasn't worth trying to control somebody else or trying to fix somebody else. And that whole um, issue, like just, it, it, I led to burnout like really quickly. And it was all of those issues. I mean, it's such a, it's all wrapped up into codependency, but the stress, the anxiety, the sleepless nights, the 
ruminating thoughts about how can I fix this? How can I change this in my life? It just consumed me. And I think if you've been in a situation like that, if you've experienced burnout or had some codependency issues, if you love somebody with addiction or even somebody if uh, codependency doesn't have to stem from only addiction either. I mean, it stems from lots of things. Caretaking for somebody in a, in a you know, say like you have a child with behavioral issues, you might be codependent. If you just lack self-worth, you're probably codependent. I mean, I really had no, no love for myself whatsoever. I really, somebody told me, asked me one time, like, what do you do for fun? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Like, that's a ridiculous question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that comes up fun? on the podcast a lot, actually. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such, it's such a weird question. And it's like, it shouldn't be a hard one to answer. Like you should definitely have some things you do for fun or like, what do you enjoy doing? And it was like, all I do is take care of other people. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what I do. Such an interesting question, and um, to it brought me a lot of pause to not have an answer to that. Yeah. So yeah, that I mean, but overall, I guess you know the 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 root of my codependency really started um, with the loss of my brother. You don't think that it started before that in some sort of like familial patterns? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it came to light. Let's say that. Like, I think it definitely came to light. Yeah. Okay. Because I was going to say, no, like, you don't usually create this kind of system overnight. This is something that happens when you're really young. When your parents have pretty high, even if they're wonderful people, my parents are also wonderful people. Also had extremely high expectations of me. Oh, for sure. Right, growing up. So there are different factors that lead to this. But one of the things you wrote in one of your blog posts is. Codependency is caring for others and people pleasing until you've lost yourself. Yeah. I think there's like this sort of like scale, like in your mind, if you can picture it from left to right, and it starts kind of with caretaking and caring about people. And then it slowly slides to the right. And you just sort of get to this place where, you know, like you're, you're people pleasing. You're not able to all of a sudden, like, if you don't want to do something, you say yes anyway, because you're afraid of hurting somebody's feelings or disappointing somebody. And it just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going until you can't answer that question. What do you do for fun or what do you like to do or what do you enjoy? And you, you don't have any answers because all of your thoughts and all of your energy is focused on somebody else and what somebody else enjoys. And so, uh, yeah. Or whatever, what are the, somebody else's need? I, I, I always say these in a, in a group needs, wants, desires, and preferences. Yeah. Needs, wants, desires, and preferences. When I'm working with clients one-on-one, I say this group of words uh, together a lot, and I say them a lot on the podcast as well. When I realized that I didn't know what my own needs, wants, desires, and preferences were, that was part of my burnout story that I stopped and I thought, okay, well, you know, what I, I thought that all the things that gave me joy were my was my work, and so I was depending on the thing that I get paid to do mm-hmm. to be the only thing in my life that fulfilled me, and then everything else I was deferring to my husband. Yes, yeah. I, like, what do you want to do? I'll do what you want to do. What is this? And I just realized it was. I, I've been really looking forward to this conversation. So I've been watching my own behavior because, as someone who has been codependent, my my family still has codependency things. Um, that we're all sort of aware of and we kind of accept, you know, like it's <laughs> normal it's behavior, right? Yeah. 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 Normal behavior. But I'm very aware of these processes in myself and I have not, I wouldn't say that I I've completely let go of all of them. And what I noticed last night, I started laughing because I was thinking about this conversation and I was my husband and I went, to, we were laying in bed and reading. I almost always lay in bed and read before I go to sleep. So we're laying in bed and we're reading and he turns his light off and I switch off my main lamp and turn on a smaller lamp so that it's not as bright in the room so he can fall asleep. And I got into this book. I was reading a book and it was like so lovely, (laughs) but he flipped over at one point and my natural automatic reaction, if I don't check myself is to say, oh, he's annoyed with me because he can't sleep because I'm still reading and my light is on. This is codependency, you guys. This is exactly the process of codependency. So I stopped and I was like, oh my God. And then I stopped and I laughed and I was like, oh my goodness, Katie, this is so funny because you're about to have this conversation. So instead of worrying about that, what I did was shut off the light, take my, took my Kindle, came into the other room and read until almost two o'clock in the morning because I really did love this book. <laughs> and I stopped and I thought, reading this book gave me so much pleasure. And for the majority of my life, 
I would have sacrificed that pleasure, laid in bed, unable to sleep because I was thinking about the book, all because I was making an assumption about what another person may feel. Yeah. Meanwhile, he's snoring. <laughs> he's good. He's really good. He's fine. <laughs> And what I learned in, in this process um, th- that I've uncovered over the years is it's okay for me to not read people's minds and it's okay for people to ask me to adjust myself for their benefit. So if he had at any moment turned over and said, you know what, I really need to sleep. Do you mind reading in the other room? Mm-hmm. Like, that's okay. Yes. You know, like he can ask for that. And a part of a part of untangling my codependency was learning to trust that other people have voices. Yes. Yeah. And I think a big part of codependency and being able to function in this space is being able to trust and foster good communication because in some relationships say that say that your husband really was upset he would flip over and be like my god can you shut off the damn light you know like you'd be like oh you know this whole this whole fury would start and it doesn't you know just like you said he could easily turn over and say hey I'm trying to sleep would you mind going somewhere else and it could be the way we communicate is so essential in this space too and how we treat each other with respect. And, um, that is one of the biggest things I think, um, of moving forward in our relationships is learning how to communicate and actually having communicate, like having conversations about your feelings and how things make you feel. Um, about your needs, wants, desires, yes. and preferences. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Where do you want to go out to eat? Oh, I'm fine with whatever. <laughs> oh, I don't really want Mexican. Well, like you said, you were fine. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's such a roller coaster. It's such a roller coaster. So I was reading one of your blog posts titled, It's Not What You Think. And I'm going to put this in the show notes so people can get to it because um, I think that it is a really good one. Uh, thank you. I I love all of them, but this was really important. When I was in the height of my codependency, I did things so damn well that people needed me. They didn't just want me around. They needed me around at work, at home, and with family. I needed people to need me. Yeah. Having people need me was the only thing that made me feel good. Yeah. Oh, it makes me tear up a little bit because it's such a sad spot to be <laughs> like, really like, but so common. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think people realize they're doing it. It comes off as perfectionism or, um, you know, just really excelling at what you do. And sometimes, and I am that type of person. I value my work. I think a lot of us do it for entrepreneurial. You, you value your work. You put a lot of stock in it and it's important to you. And one of my favorite things to do is work. So it's really, I mean, and I think you've mentioned something similar to that. And so it's very easy to get wrapped up in that and not be able to step away from it. And um, I think at the end of the day, what I learned is I was doing things at work, at home. I was doing things for my parents that were ridiculous that no other child would do for their parents. It was like the roles were reversed. And sometimes it takes somebody in your life to point out some of the things you're doing and you're like, oh yeah, that's not normal. (laughs) a crap. So, you know, and then you step back a little bit, but I think one of the things is, or maybe it is normal, but there's a better way uh, and a healthier way to do absolutely. it because normal, I think codependency is more normal than yeah, not. Absolutely. Yeah. I would agree with that. Totally. And I think there's, there's ways to uh, show people you love them without, without them. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to say this in the wrong way, but without them taking advantage of you and they don't, they don't realize they're doing that just to be clear in most cases, they don't realize they're doing that. They are just so yeah. used to you taking care of everything that they just kind of come to expect it without, without, uh, knowing any different. So, um, yeah, I would say that, um, yeah, I think that's, that's huge. Yeah. And this is, this comes to like changing boundaries and changing expectations. Like right now we're in the midst of a live version of the build better boundaries course. Not right now as we're recording, but right now as, as this will be playing and the build better boundaries course I designed because the information about creating boundaries is all about assertiveness and it's usually sort of aggressive. Mm -hmm. And I am a naturally sort of aggressive person, not in a mean way, just like I'm I'm intense and I like stuff and I want to like dig into things. Like I'm, I'm, I'm aggressive in that way. And so, and even I don't really like 
the assertiveness type boundaries that are promoted on Instagram and in books and things like this. They they make me feel uncomfortable. They make me feel uncomfortable because I have codependency issues, but they also make me feel uncomfortable because they're often what I think the wrong boundary. Yeah. I think uh, one of the biggest things with boundaries is what I hear all the time, especially from people struggling with some codependency issues, which is most people, is that it feels mean. And so, um, you know, you say, you know, you've been doing things the same way for a long time, and then all of a sudden you put up a boundary. And when I work with people trying to put boundaries in place, the biggest thing is people get really uh, reserved about it because they're like, oh, that's going to, uh, that's going to, you know, that's mean. I don't, that seems mean or rude or, you know, like I'm not, I'm not trying to be that way. And I think the biggest thing you can, I think, and maybe you can attest to this as well, is that once you start putting boundaries in place, people learn how to kind of be self-sufficient. They learn how to do things for themselves. And in turn, that makes them value themselves more. If you keep doing things for people, they're not really going to have the opportunity to see that in themselves. And so I think boundaries is so much of, you know, it's such a healthy thing, not only for you, but for them. And so it feels, I think, if you're not used to doing it, or if you've had some codependency issues for a long time, or you've been doing this for a long time, or behaving the same way, you're going to have, it's going to feel mean. But I think after a while, it's going to feel real damn good. And I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that there's a missing step and something that I do during the course is what I call internal boundaries. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it it becomes more about fulfilling your own needs than creating a boundary for another person. And I have a really good example of this that just happened that I I was live on all of the social medias yesterday talking about this because it was, um, it's just such a great example of how boundaries can be actually mean and inappropriate and feel bad to both sides if you don't work on the internal boundary first. So I bought something online and it was a $75 template for a sales page, right? Mm -hmm. So I bought it online. I downloaded it. You can buy it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You can pay anytime, obviously, that you want anywhere all over the world. And it said, if you have any questions, please email this email address. So I emailed them Friday at two something at five twenty something. They wrote back, answered the question. And then I wrote back, thank you. And then an automatic responder came back and the automatic responder said, you know, we just want to have this reminder that our office hours are between nine and five and we're just so obsessed with helping you. And when you email us, we feel really compelled to answer. So, you know, if you could just watch the hours that you email us, then, then it, it would really help us take care of our families and spend time away from work. We love what we do, but we can't be doing this 24 hours a day. And I was sitting there and I was like, okay, this is a bad boundary. This feels mean and awkward to say because you're being manipulative and awkward in your statement. The internal boundary in this case is I'm not going to check my email after 5 p.m. Yeah. Like you, you don't check your email. It's not my job to manage your email account as your customer. I was thinking about this and I was thinking, okay, so this requires some internal work that they need to do around their own boundaries and their own codependency on their email. <laughs> and then it's a rough one. The, they can, it's totally okay to put up an autoresponder, but that autoresponder should have said, hi, everybody. It's after 5 p.m. in our world. We'll get back to you yes. between such and such hours. And that's it. And now I'm never going to buy from these people again because they made me feel like shit for saying thank you to an email that they sent me. Yeah. Talk about making an easy conversation flipping awkward, huh? (laughs) Right? Oh, so awkward. So this is why people feel like boundaries are mean because we often haven't done enough work with ourselves to present them in a way that is kind, clear, and concise. Yes. I uh, totally agree that the overhelping takes takes people's power away. It's very disempowering to be the helper in other people for mm-hmm. other people. Yeah. Um, it's incredibly disempowering. 
because you really don't allow people to grow on their own. But there is a way to step back and work on your own shit before you start putting up boundaries so that you don't sound like an ass. Oh yeah, for sure. I think that everything in the codependency world, I mean, you can sum up, I think the work of codependency as changing all of your communication from you to I. So instead of somebody upsets you, you don't say, well, you blah, blah, blah. You say, well, that made me feel, or I feel this because of this. And, you know, really shifting. uh, I think so many times in codependency, you know, especially if we have somebody that's using or drinking or um, using drugs, I think we tend to go to this place where it's like, well, you know, it's all this victimizing. Like, I feel like a victim. Like they're making me feel like crap. And you know, it's everybody else's fault. I have to always pick up the pieces and this. I do all these things for so many people and when I need help, nobody's around. Yes. Yes. And I was there. I was victim. Like I was numero uno on the victim scale. Like I had that shit down. But I'm telling you, like the second you can step back and if you just pause before you talk, (laughs) just take a minute, take like a hot minute and just think about what's about to come out of your mouth. And if you can just stop and think, what do I want to say that isn't blaming somebody, accusing somebody? What do I feel? And if you can change all of your statements into how something made you feel instead of what somebody did, I think that that is like step number one in changing the whole perspective of codependency and having boundary issues and all of that. It does, it is so much internal work. It's loving yourself. It's really putting the onus on yourself for how you're behaving. Because at the end of the day, like this is like, if you have codependency traits, that is not your, I mean, it's, I, I want, I want, I don't want people to feel like, Oh man, I've got a thing, you know, like, like you said earlier, like a diagnosed thing. Like I have a, yeah. I have a disease. Well, I don't, I don't really buy that. You know, I think like at the end of the day, like this is such a learned behavior. Yeah. It's a trauma adaptation. Yeah. And it's such a great thing that it is because we can unlearn it. It's not, you know, it's going to take some time. It's definitely going to take some time, but I think it's one of those things that at the end of the day, you can look back and see where you've been and you can see where you want to go and you just choose a different path and it's going to take time and it's going to take a lot of adjusting and practice, but you can definitely shift to the right direction and feel some peace. One of the things that you wrote in um, one of your people-pleasing blog posts was, I simply started to ask myself what I wanted. Before reacting, I took a minute to consider if what was being asked was something I really wanted to do and if it aligns with my values. I started to ask myself what I wanted. This is really the entire key because when you are in a codependent state, Like I said before, I'm going to say it 500 times during this episode because I want this to be like drilled into your brains out there. When you're in a codependent state, you assume you take on other people's wants, needs, desires, and preferences. And you use them as your own because you think that it makes you lovable and you think that it makes you safe, safe from losing someone, losing a relationship, being kicked out of the crew, whatever it happens to be, right? So really simply stopping and starting to ask yourself the question, what do I really want? What I, and I often start when I, with coaching clients, I often start with the question, what's my preference here? Because when we get into what do I want, then this is another way that we turn boundaries into like sort of something rude and mean. Like then we start like, oh, I can demand what I want because I deserve it, even though you don't feel like that yet. So when you say it, it sounds forceful and awkward. And when you can learn to state a preference, a preference inherently allows space for compromise and nuance. Yeah, I totally agree. Here's these Mm -hmm. two options for restaurants. My preference is this one. But I'm not going to like put my foot down and say, you don't respect me and you don't trust my choices because you don't want to go have Mexican tonight. Yeah, so true. Yeah. It's a great stepping stone. I would agree with that. Right. Yeah. So I like using the word preference for that reason. Do you know what your preference is in, that, in this situation? Just stop for a second and ask yourself, after the fact even, Usually in the beginning, it's usually hindsight, right? You go through a day and you're like, 
that wasn't really a great day. Well, what would you have preferred? Hi, Fried Fan. If you've been nodding your head to this episode, feeling relieved that you're not alone, feeling validated that what you're going through is real, and knowing deep inside that it's time to actually do something about this burnout cycle that you've been in for far too long, I encourage you to book a free consult and get your healing journey started today. You can head to bit.ly backslash callkate or use the link in the show notes. I love holding space for you, your story, and your healing. Your time is now. Yeah. And I think so many times when that happens, we're not clear on what went wrong and then we're pissed, you know, we're really upset with somebody and then we're doing the passive aggressive thing where we're not talking, we're not <laughs> communicating. We're just mad. Cause we are not clear. We weren't clear about anything. And one of my blog posts actually is about expectations. I'm not sure if you got a chance to read that yes. one, but I think so many times we set expectations in our head. And so like, let's say like, I'm like, Oh, like, you know, this weekend, like, I think like, you know, I'd love to go to the park and go on a bike ride, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So I, you know, here comes the weekend. I haven't mentioned anything to my significant other about what I want to do that weekend. And Saturday comes and he's watching football or, you know, whatever it is. And I'm like, you know, God dang it. Like, and I'm I'm just mad all day, you know, and I'm stuck at home because I want to be on my bike in the park, but I haven't mentioned anything, but I'm going to be real quiet about it and not say anything because you know, I don't want to start any kind of controversy. He should know. He should know. Yes, exactly. He should totally know. <laughs> Women are horrible with this. I have to say that. I mean, myself included, I've learned, but oh yes. my gosh, we have yeah, been me too. trained to keep our mouth shut and not ask for what we want. And I think at the end of the day, like we need to really share what it is our expectations are. So in that case, if I wanted to go to the park and go on a bike ride, I can ask on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whatever it is. Yeah you know, what would you like to do this weekend? You know, I'm thinking like, maybe it's going to be nice. We should go on a bike ride. Then you have no, you know, then you can have a conversation. You set the expectation for what you want to do. And maybe he says, no, I'm going to stay home and do some football. And you're like, okay, well, I'm going to go off with Susie, my friend and go on my bike. And you know, you have fun doing football. Everybody's happy. Nobody's upset. You had the conversation. Um, I think that moment when we set expectations and we don't share what they are, are we we set unreasonable expectations and we try to hold somebody to them and they don't even know what they are. We, there's no way you're going to win. You're not going to win. That person's not going to win. And you're going to sit there in victim mode feeling horrible about it. And so, so often I think, um, this is communication again, but so often I think that we can really solve a lot of problems by sharing what it is we're looking for, what we expect, you know, what, what we want to do. We just need to use our voices a little bit better. And I think the, the issue that's happening now in the world of social media is there's so many people that are like, tell people what you want and then go get it. Like just because you set an expectation doesn't mean it's going to be met. Right. No, no. And so I think honest conversations at that point are, are important. And so, um, yeah, if you don't share with people what you want, And if you don't do it in a kind, clear and concise manner, as you mentioned, yeah, you're going to struggle. You're going to really struggle and you're not going to be happy and your loved ones aren't going to be happy with you. Yeah. It makes everybody miserable. And I think there's another side to expectations um, that are, this is called unspoken, uh, unspoken agreements. And this is actually like something that can hold true in a court of law. So this is, this is like a, an important concept. The concept of an unspoken agreement means that you've taken on a chore, a, a piece of responsibility, for whatever reason. You grew up in a household where the mother always did the laundry, so you're the mother and now you do the laundry, but you hate the laundry. And like seven years into doing everybody's laundry, you're furious because nobody else is doing the laundry, but you're not talking about it. You started doing it in the first place without having any conversation about it. And the brain, the human brain is such that if it does not have to take care of a task, it will not notice the task. That means you've taught everyone in your family to not see laundry. They literally, when you say, can't you see it's full? They literally can't see it. Everybody listen to this. If you have always done the laundry, nobody else can see the basket. And, and that's a, a cognitive thing that actually happens in your brain. 
It's not their fault. So when you are trying to change something like this, you have to be prepared for long-term conversations and clear requests that you're going to have to repeat. And then Instagram says, you shouldn't have to repeat yourself. You should be able to just blah. But you know what? That's not how human brains work. Yeah. Unfortunately, we've trained people the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, we've, um, we've set expectations that they don't have to worry about laundry. So as you mentioned, they don't see it because it's not their concern whatsoever. And they don't, and they're not, there's no malintent. No, no. Your brain is designed to cut out as many unnecessary processes as, as it can for survival's sake. This is evolution. This is not people being jerks. This is, you took on a responsibility, you didn't talk to anybody about it, you didn't ask for any help, you did not state your wants, desires, needs, and preferences, and 10 years later, nobody knows them, and now you're really angry about it, and I get that, but the process of unwinding this now requires more work from your side. And that's so frustrating. I shouldn't have to remind you to do it. Unfortunately, you do. <laughs> yeah, it is, a, it is a lot of work unraveling it because you've taught people to behave a certain way and you have to kind of, I don't want to say retrain the people around you, but you've got to set a different expectation from the people around you. And they're not going to get that right away because you've done things a certain way. And, and everything else will adjust. When you're retraining yourself and you are stating things clearly and you are making requests over and over again, the system will naturally shift. Oh, yeah. But how long it takes for that system to shift depends on so many factors. That it's like, yeah, you might have to tell somebody to do the laundry way longer than you think you should have to tell them. But you've taught their brain for 7, 10, 14 years that it doesn't need to look here. Yeah, it's so true. It's all expectations. So we're, you mean you're setting expectations by doing the work for other people. And so, yeah, and shifting that into a different mode. Like if, if you don't want to do laundry anymore and you are, you have had it, you are done, you have, you're not doing even your own laundry anymore, then you're, you're going to have to, it's going to shift. It's going to have to take some time, a lot of time. And all the work of codependency really yeah. does take some time because it took, I mean, if you think about when your codependency started, which is likely in your childhood, it has taken years to yeah. kind of accumulate these behaviors that, you know, are just sort of natural at this point. Yeah. And you get praised for them as you, as you grow up. So my codependency started when I was about six years old. My father was an addict and he went away for rehab. And he was only gone for two weeks, but up until like two years ago, I thought he was gone for like six months. Like I just found out recently that he was only gone for two weeks because yeah. it felt like an eternity to me. And when he came back, my six-year-old brain thought this was a very good idea to assume that he had used all of the trouble and problems and mistakes that were allotted to our family. And now there were none left. Yeah. So now I have to do everything possible to keep everything in this household as smooth as it can be because we are fresh out of mistakes, folks. <laughs> we're fresh out of mistakes. And I, and like I said, I still had this moment. I've known about this for years. I've been unwinding this for years. It's the biggest part of my burnout story. So this is incredibly important to me. And I'm still working on it, you guys. I literally, last night, I shut off the light and then I had to stop and say, no, I, need, I, I really would prefer <laughs> to read right now. And I don't want to bother him. And he hasn't said anything, but I don't even want to have to worry about bothering him. So I'm just going to go to the other yeah. room. Yeah. I find I catch myself all the time. And so I think, I think, you know, this recovering from codependency, if that's what we're going to call it, I think really it's a lifelong journey. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's different than using alcohol or drugs. It's, um, it's something that is so 
accepted and almost desired in people that it's really, and it it's, it's fine for other people. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, you're really, I guess sometimes, you know, your obsessiveness and controlling can come off a little harsh or aggressive to some people. I mean, I would say that it, yeah. it does affect other yeah. people, but at the end of the day, you're the person you're hurting the most is yourself. And so if, if at night, if you're laying there yeah. and you can't stop thinking about a person's behavior or, you know, something going on in your life, you, you have to stop to reflect and say like, what, what can I do different? Because at the end of the day, the only person you can control is you. And sometimes that's an environment change. Sometimes it's a different sort of boundary, but at the end of the day, like we can't change the people in our lives. And that's one of the hardest things I think to accept is that we, you know, if somebody's doing something on a normal basis and it drives you crazy, you have to get to a place you have to find a way to get to a place where you say, that's how they, that's who they are. That is how they behave. And either I accept it and I let them in my life or I establish a boundary or I detach for some time or altogether and say, I can't have this person in my life. And you have to decide what that looks like for you. I want to talk about this a little bit more because this is really important and something that I think so many people struggle yeah. with. If you have somebody in your life that you are spending a lot of energy on through worry and anxiety and advice and all sorts of things, you are likely doing neither of you a favor. And I think really unwinding how your help is not helpful is the true key to being able to release this pattern. So this goes back to talking about the disempowerment. That when you're taking care of someone else's shit for them, what you're saying to them energetically is, I don't trust you. I'm better at this than you are. You're not good enough. You're not saying what you think you're saying. I believe in you. I want to support you. I see your potential. Yeah. I think so often, just like you said, with your dad, you're trying to keep that slate clean. And I think as codependents, that's what we're trying yeah. to do. Like, oh, you had a little like run in with a law. Like, let's just clean that up. Like, you know, let's just get rid of it. Like, you know, oh, you, you lost your job. Well, let me get you another. And at the end of the day, people, you know, I always say like, uh, you know, enabling versus helping, like, what does that mean? And what does that look like? And the one question, when I ever question myself, if I'm enabling versus helping, I always ask myself, am I doing something for somebody that they can do for themselves? So am I, you know, if somebody, mm. like say somebody doesn't have a car, but they have a job interview, as long as they've set up that job interview, you are helping by bringing them to that job. It's not, it's not enabling unless you feel icky about it. Um, you know, but if somebody, you know, is doing nothing to get a job, they're not applying and you're bringing them applications, that is something they can do on their own and you need to stop. <laughs> you need to stop. I mean, it feels like you're helping. Yeah. It feels it's, and that's the hard part about codependency is it's genuine. You want, you care and you want to help. And I think that's the really hard part because it, it looks like that too, from a lot of perspectives, from a lot of other perspectives though your loved one might be thinking, why won't you just leave me alone? Like I can take care of myself. And I think yeah. you start to destroy relationships when you start to control other people's lives. And if you're doing stuff for other people that they can do for themselves, you're not allowing them that opportunity to grow or to have, to have that, that experience. Um, you know, and if somebody is out of a job and they need a job. My God, my gosh, let them, let them figure out what they want to do and apply. Like, let them have that experience. Let them enjoy that. Let them, you know, experience a challenge, whatever that looks like. But, you know, I think so often we get lost in the helping because we think it's helping and it's really at the, it's not helping at all. It's, it's really bringing them backwards. If that makes sense. I think go the wrong direction. Yeah. And it's really, it's, we think that it's coming from a place of love, but it's coming yes. from a place of fear and yes. judgment. I would say with my sister, I did, I was just a horrible and evil. I mean, I, I was horrible. I was like every little thing I would try to, you know, oh, we don't have a job. She had some criminal issues. It was like running into those going to court all the time, you know, like 
money issues, all sorts of things. Um, and at the end of the day, the second I was able to say, this is my sister. I love her as she is, which it takes a long time to get there. And I, I do, I love my sister to death. She is, I would be lost without her. I'm not going to, um, you know, say anything negative about that whatsoever. But at the end of the day, it took me a long time to get to a place of acceptance because there was a lot of history there. And I, I love her for exactly who she is. I accept who she is using or not, whatever that looks like, whatever kind of job she has, whatever kind of car she drives. I just, I don't care anymore. And I finally got to a place where I was just like, she is who she is. And I love her for who she is. She is my, she's still through anything. If she's using or not using, she's still my sister. If she's got the beautiful car, she's got the beautiful, you know, it doesn't, none of that matters how much money she has. It's, you know, and it's for the longest time, I think as a codependent, you put a lot of value and stock in making people a certain way around you or seeing something different. But if they don't see that for themselves, or if they don't want that for themselves, because some people like, you know, this is some people are perfectly fine working at the burger joint, making $10 an hour. I would not be happy doing that. But lots of people are bless their hearts because we need people doing that. And so and for me to come in with my judgment, I was the judgiest person ever for me to come in with that judgment and say, you should want something different. You should want more. You should want more. And that's not what that's not what she wants. And when I finally gave up on pushing my desires on her, it was like our relationship has completely transformed. Yeah. Um, so much more peaceful. Like I can be around her and not want to just lose my mind. Um, it's, yeah. it's just a very peaceful place. And so, but it took me years to get to a place where I could see her and not be real upset. It wouldn't bring up a lot of emotion. I'm indifferent now, you know, and it's, yeah. um, it's a great place to be. So I think I talk a lot about, um, that in my book, Warriors in Recovery. And, um, in that book, I share some stories of 12 different women's stories of recovery from addiction and mental health issues. And that eventually, you know, in, in between, I have kind of, uh, sprinkled in some wisdom of my own, through my own experiences, because I really, uh, the whole purpose of writing the book was to, um, I guess, you know, with my sister, I never really understood, I didn't understand her. And I really I got to a place where I was like, man, I just really want to get this because I didn't get my brother either. I was like, why don't you just stop? Why don't you just stop? Why don't you just be different? <laughs> and if you um, have ever had addiction or know somebody in addiction, you know, that's the craziest thing to think. It's, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, it does not work um, that way. No, it definitely does not work that way. And so, um, really the, the premise of the book was I really wanted to understand people better. And, um, so I got 12 women's stories. I sort of, um, interviewed these women, got their stories and, um, everyone is different and provides different hope and inspiration. And so, and I, in there, I share my story about my brother and my sister. And, um, I think there's just a lot of wisdom in being open to hearing other people's stories and learning from them. I think stories are, stories are amazing. So yeah, and very healing for so many people. Yeah, the, the people telling, the people reading, the people in it, all of it. Yeah, I think we can learn so much from other people if we're open to hearing. And yeah. I think um, that was a big part of my healing journey was writing that book. Actually, I I think I thought I was a lot more healed than I was when I started writing that book, and um, that that book changed me. So I think, yeah, it, and it provides a level of empathy that we can't have if we don't stick ourselves right in the muck with them. You know, like we don't, yeah. we can be sympathetic for people, but being empathetic is a, a way, you know, a much different level of caring and understanding. Speaking of empathy, there's a lot of people that use empathy as an excuse for codependence. Ah, <laughs> Right. It's just that I feel everything. What is the difference between being so in tune with someone because you are actually some, like an empath and being hypersensitive to someone because you're codependent? Do you have yeah. an answer for that? That's I know that's a very well, big question and I, mean, I don't even yeah. know if I have an answer for it, but but it just hit me when you said empathy and I was like, "Oh shit, that's a big topic." It is, but you know, I think there's so much pride on being empathetic too that I think um it is a lot like codependency. They're like, "Oh, like yeah. I really get people. I understand people." And I think if you put somebody like if you're empathetic, let's say you're empathetic with somebody that has a drinking problem, 
Um, you know, at the end of the day, you can empathize with somebody, but not exercise these codependent traits. So being empathetic does not mean that you're enabling people. Being empathetic does not mean you are people pleasing and doing things you don't want to do. It doesn't mean you sacrifice yourself. It means that you understand where somebody is at and you see them and you feel them. And it's okay to be empathetic without codependency. You don't need to, you can care for somebody and love somebody without doing these overstepping sort of things that we tend to do. We don't need to enable. We don't need to control. We don't need to yell and scream. We don't need to be angry with people. We need to make sure that if we're empathetic with somebody, what really matters the most is caring, showing them we care. We can care by having boundaries, by respecting ourselves, by loving ourselves, by saying no to the crap we don't want to do. You know, just and totally getting yourself out of the victim mentality because I think at the end of the day, you are in charge of your life. There's a quote by Jim Rohn that says, if uh, you don't like where you are, move. You are not a tree. And I love that quote because at the end of the day, if you don't like something about your life, like when I hear people complaining, it's, it's uh, you know, I just want to say, what, what would you like to be different? Because at the end of the day, you have the power. You are in the driver's seat of your life. And yes, it may not be easy. It might not be easy. I'm not saying change is easy. I'm not saying getting the things you want is easy. I know it's not easy. Codependency, like Even I said, figuring out what you want is yeah, not, yeah, not no, easy. I mean, yeah. If you're codependent, there's a good chance you don't know what you, you want. Have no idea what your <laughs> you own, have no idea. Again, wants, needs, desires, and preferences. If you yes. are not in tune with these things, it is very likely that you are codependent. Yeah. If you can't answer the question, what do you do for fun? I remember coming back from, uh, like it, it was the end of a weekend. My husband and I had spent, I don't even know doing what. And he was like, that was a fun weekend. And I stopped and I was like, was it? Did I have fun? (laughs) Yeah, like I didn't even know. Was that fun for me? I don't know. That's all right, I guess. (laughs) But at that time, I couldn't have answered what I would have preferred. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's a lot of self-discovery in that. And, um, you know, I think there's a lot of experiment. That's, that's kind of the fun part about this is you get to kind of figure out who you want, who you are, what you like. And if you don't know, then you get to play, you know, go paint. Do you like to paint? Do you, yeah. Even as a child, I didn't used to like choosing a favorite color mm. because I didn't want to be, I didn't want anybody to be able to judge me for the color that I chose. Yeah. So I would avoid choosing a favorite on purpose so that I couldn't be judged for it, which is, this is a weird way to talk about codependency, but this is codependency. I mm-hmm. need you to like me so much that I'm not going to have a preference. Yeah. What would you and, like my color to be? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. And yeah. I just, I was thinking about the other day, this was really funny. I was making sandwiches to go on a hike on Saturday, which we went on a hike on Saturday because we had an option to go for a hike or go rowing. And we had already planned on the hike, but then the opportunity to go rowing came up and my husband said, well, we could go rowing today. And, and I stopped and I was like, no, I really have in my, in my mind, we're hiking. So I would rather yeah. do that. And he was like, okay, cool. Five years ago, I would have been like, well, if you want to row, <laughs> I'll do whatever you want to do. Yeah. And then I would have been like, annoyed at it. But so then I was making our sandwiches and I'm like an excellent sandwich maker. That's a fun fact. Excellent sandwich skills. <laughs> I'm actually a very good cook overall, but um, but I do like making sandwiches and I like making my own sandwiches because I have a preference for thin slices of everything. Mm. Everything's better that way. I do. I would have to agree with that. <laughs> I like to have really thin slices, even of tomatoes, because then you can like reach all the edges of the bread without having a big pile in the middle. Yeah. You can overlap them and it's not really a big deal. Exactly. (laughs) I'm with you. So I am a big fan. And when I stopped and I laughed at myself when I was making sandwiches Saturday morning, because I realized that as a fact about myself that I suppose I've always sort of known but had someone asked me at any point during my life, I wouldn't have been able to say, yes, this is my preference. But it is very clear in my mind when I think about the sandwiches that I enjoy the most, <laughs> they're all, everything is very thinly sliced, like the thinner, the, if I can see through the turkey breast, like great. 
Yeah. You know? <laughs> I love it. And this is just a silly thing, but I'm, I'm using silly examples, everybody on purpose, because I need you to understand how deep this goes when you're not in tune with how you like a sandwich to be structured. You're not in tune with your deeper wants and needs and desires, which are the things that will allow you to feel fulfilled. And you cannot, cannot, cannot under any circumstances, I don't use the word impossible a lot, but this is, it is impossible to recover from burnout if you don't know how to give yourself the small things that bring you joy. Mm -hmm. You cannot recover. Yeah, I would totally agree. You have to be able to do this. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, if you cannot show yourself that little bit of self-respect by giving yourself what you want, what you desire, what you need, you will not, I mean, it's going to be a real long road and it's going to be painful and you may never get there. And if you, I think that the small everyday little things are catching yourself in those decisions, take a pause and say, what do I prefer? What would I like? And make that choice. Do what you want to do. Give yourself that gift. Because at the end of the day, if you don't speak up for yourself, nobody else will. And you will continue to be miserable. You will continue to not have peace. You will be tired. You will be stressed. You will be anxious. All of those things, all of the things that you don't like about feeling burnt out and codependent will not go away if you do not respect yourself enough to give yourself what you want. Yeah, this is uh, this is another example that I, a food example that just came up for me again. And I, you guys, I'm using the the silliest examples I can on purpose because these are the things that you remember. Are you hungry? <laughs> no, I'm actually not. I had a beautiful breakfast that I really really wanted. I was just messing with you. I made a egg sandwich with arugula. It was amazing. And but I do buy uh, like five yogurts in the beginning of the ah. week, and I take one to work with me. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, I go into New York City to do acupuncture um, and to see my patients. So I, I always have a yogurt for the middle of the day. Just And the other day, I bought a lemon, like a triple cream, like really luxurious one. And in my mind, I bought it for my husband, but it had been there for like six days and he did not pick it up yet. And then I was like, oh my God, I actually really want this for myself. <laughs> Like I can buy him another one for next week, but I actually really want to eat this. And it's, it's the things like going into the refrigerator and not taking the flavor of seltzer water that you want because you assume that somebody else is going to want it. Yeah. It really is the smallest little things that manifest. And I don't, uh, it's so, um, I love the examples you're giving because they're so real world because we all do this. We all do this. Yeah. Yeah. I had a friend that um, was remodeling her house and she had asked me and another friend to come paint and I did not want to do it at, at all. Like I had no desire whatsoever. And it wasn't that I didn't want to be helpful. I just, I have a lot of my own plate and I was feeling a little stressed that week and it was like the last thing I wanted to do. And I, I, uh, quite, uh, quite easily said no. And I felt, a, I'm not going to lie. I felt a little guilty about it, but I was like, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, that's my boundary. Like, I don't want to do something I don't want to do because I would have been a lot more upset with myself if I would have yeah. said yes and gone and done it. When you're faced with those choices, just, you know, at the end of the day, it's how does a yes make me feel? How does a no make me feel? And if you can mm -hmm. sit with whatever the answer is and feel good at the end of the day, just choose, like, follow your heart, feel, you know, what feels good. You know, if you yeah. saying no might not feel good at first. I think they're like, or what feels less bad. Yeah. What feels, yes. Yes. Because sometimes there is not really a good option. That's a very good point. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yes. What feels less bad. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you've got to follow what you're feeling. And if, you know, at the end of the day, if something really like, you know, when we, when we have this problem of saying yes to things we really want to say no to, it's often because we're looking for somebody to say, oh, they did that thing for me, you know, and it, yeah. it doesn't fill you up by any means. No. And so if you know, at the end of the day, saying yes, isn't going to fill you up then say no. Yeah. Somebody might be yeah. a little peeved with you for a little bit, but they'll get over it. And at the end of the day, after some and, time, or, or not, or not, or not. And they might, they might just start to respect you a little bit more. That's what I found. Why don't you remind everybody the name of your book that's being released next week, everybody that in the show notes, there will be a link to get the book. I think that having access to these 12 stories 
will be incredibly healing for so many people. So I'm so grateful that you took the time to talk about that a little bit today. So just remind us the name of the book and um, you don't have to tell us where to get it because I'll tell everybody in the show notes. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. It's uh, Warriors in Recovery and the subtitle is uh, Women Who Stood Up to Addiction and Won the Damn Battle. So um, in my mind, these women are warriors and they have amazing stories to tell. And um, there's so many takeaways, so many lessons, so many amazing gifts in these stories. And so, yeah, you'll have a, a link in the show notes. So that'll be, that'll be perfect. That'll be easy. And I highly recommend um, getting the version that you like to highlight best. Um, if you are somebody who likes to underline, get the paperback because there's going to be a lot of things in this book that you're going to want to go back to on a regular basis. I like to highlight things in, on Kindles because then you can click the notepad at the top and it gives you everything that you highlighted in the oh, whole yeah. book. It's like, it's so satisfying to me. <laughs> I love <laughs> so it. I like to do it in a Kindle version. However, get the version that will allow you to really take the time to absorb the lessons that are there for you because it took a lot of courage and patience and vulnerability to create a work like this and the stories that are in there, we should hold sacred. Um, I think that's important. Melanie, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. All right, everybody, this wraps up episode one, season three of fried the burnout podcast. We started out with a bang this week, talking all about codependency And we are currently running a live version of the Build Better Boundaries course. It is too late right now. You have definitely missed it if you are listening to this. But if you think that you might need it, there will be a wait list coming soon for the next round. So keep your eyes peeled for that. All right. And as always, rate and subscribe and review and do all the things that send me happy mails that make me feel happy. Uh, Okay. Bye. Thank you.